0: The scene is a Roman prison about A.D. 68 and the Apostle Paul is there nearing the end of his life as he would ultimately stand uh, before a Roman emperor, be judged unjustly of course and, and executed and as he awaited that time he wrote the final words ...in the New Testament that he ever penned, his second epistle to a young preacher by the name of Timothy. And I believe it is indeed significant to see what was on the mind of the Apostle Paul... ...that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was expressed, showing then that the Holy Spirit... ...that heaven itself was concerned about the very things about which Paul would write to Timothy... And thus, as we examine some of those things, we can see how tremendously significant they are in our lives today. The charges that he gave him. The information that he related to him. All of this is so very important to us today, and I'd like to look at a portion of that final epistle this morning. Found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 13, through verse 18, the remainder of that chapter, where Paul writes, Hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So much in these few verses that are so vitally important to us in terms of how we are to live our lives, as he wanted Timothy to live his and conduct himself. And obviously, 2 Timothy is where it is because the Holy Spirit intended for it to be revealed to this man and preserved for us by the God of heaven through his providence, that even this very morning in time, we might look at these verses and glean from them Lessons that are relevant to this and to every generation because that's the beauty of Scripture. It is never out of date. It is always relevant. And the admonition with which we began our reading is one that is not only relevant but absolutely essential to us in this time and for all time to come and that is hold fast the pattern of sound words as the New King James renders that. The pattern, the form as it is elsewhere rendered the form or the pattern. What does that tell us? It tells us that there is a pattern for New Testament Christianity. And yet we live in a time where tragically even those, as we've mentioned before, even in the Lord's Church are trying to tell us that we're foolish to advocate a pattern, that we are foolish to push for a pattern, to believe and to practice that there is a pattern in the New Testament that is clearly revealed and that we must follow in order to be pleasing to God. But here's a text that denies that contention, that false contention, and reaffirms for us in this and every generation to come that as long as time stands, the word of the Lord will not pass away. As Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And those words will judge us in the last day, John 12, 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings, Or words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken the same will judge him in the last day. The word is going to judge us. The word will not pass away. And the word constitutes, as Paul writes to Timothy in some of the last words he penned on this earth, constitutes a pattern, a form. A clearly identifiable body of doctrine that we can not only identify with, but we must adhere to in order to be pleasing to God. Hold fast. Hold fast. Hold fast. There's the admonition. You cling to it. Don't you dare let go of this what? Pattern, this form that has been revealed. In Acts 2, the time of the churches coming into existence there, We find that after some 3,000 obeyed the gospel on Pentecost by believing in Jesus as the Christ, repenting of their sins, confessing him as the Christ, and being buried in baptism, they were added to the church and they what? Acts 2.42 says they continued steadfastly. They what? Continued steadfastly? Hold fast here? Same idea, isn't it? They continued steadfastly in what? In the apostles' doctrine. In fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. The apostles' doctrine, the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. Paul was an apostle. Paul was an apostle. The apostles' doctrine is equivalent to the pattern of sound words about which he writes here. As he admonishes the young preacher, Timothy, don't you turn loose of those sound words. You hold on to that pattern. And how? In faith, in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The pattern of sound words is contained in the word of God, and faith comes by hearing that word of God, and by holding to that word, by obeying it and holding to it, and motivated to do so by love. Love in Christ Jesus. Love for Christ. Love for those who are in Christ. Love for the body of Christ, the church of Christ, which was established By the Lord himself and purchased with his own blood. And notice something in verse 14. That good thing, he says, which was committed to you, keep. There it is again. Keep it. That which was committed to you, keep. How? By the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. First of all, notice that good thing which was committed to you. What is that good thing that was committed to Timothy? Go back to 1 Timothy Chapter 6 and verse 20. There the admonition to Timothy in that first epistle is this. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, verse 21, some have strayed concerning the faith. We know what was committed to Paul. What was it? It was the gospel. It was the faith. The system of faith. Jude said, contend earnestly for the faith, once for all delivered. The faith, the gospel, guard the gospel that has been committed to you. And back to our text here in verse 14 of 2 Timothy 1, that good thing, the gospel which was committed to you, keep it. How? By the Holy Spirit. How are we to keep the gospel today? By the Holy Spirit. By some direct miraculous indwelling of the Holy Spirit? No. We do not have that miraculous Uh, We do not have those miraculous gifts today because they are not needed. And yet we are still subject to the admonition to keep that good thing, the gospel, by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit has given us all that we need to keep that gospel, which is what? The Word of God. And so today the admonition to us would be keep the gospel, guard it by the what? By the teaching of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you're going to know what that good thing is. That's the only way you're going to know what the pattern is that you must hold fast. Is by the Holy Spirit's revelation of that teaching through what? Through the Word. Not a better felt and told experience, but the all-sufficient Word of God. That claims for itself that all-sufficiency. That tells us that it supplies us, furnishes us. Completely unto every good work. If the word of God is said to completely furnish us to every good work, what work is left out? None. Therefore I know the thing to which I must look is the word of God if I am to guard that which has been committed to us if we're Christians this morning. And that is the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. During the last days of Paul's life, what was it about which he was most concerned? Guarding the gospel. Timothy, guard it, keep it. Do not hold to profane and idle babblings. Back in the first epistle, as we looked at that passage, contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith, the faith, the gospel, the pattern of sound words. And that word sound indicates healthful. The gospel's healthy. It's healthy for you spiritually. But not if you pervert it, not if you pollute it with the science of falsely, what is falsely called, knowledge. Now he turns his attention to something that is very personal and very poignant. And I'd like for us to think about the Apostle Paul and his predicament and what he next writes to this young Preacher Timothy. And put yourself, if you can, to the best of your ability in his position. He's not going to get out of this prison except to stand before his executor and lose his life. He's not getting out. He's not getting out. His body is not going to be released from this imprisonment. His spirit will, as his body is killed and his spirit Goes into the paradise of God. But he's not getting out. But he has so many people around him to encourage him though at this time, right? No. No. That's why I'd like you to think about the position he's in. About to die for the cause of Christ. Writing to Timothy with some of the final words that he would pen. And he says in verse 15, this you know. That all those in Asia have turned away from me. All of those Christians in that area called Asia at the time, including the great city of Ephesus, all of those have turned away from me. And he mentions two by name, Phagellus and Hermogenes. They've turned away from me. Think about it. He's in prison, he's not going to get out, he's going to die. And to add to that sobering situation and that challenging time in his life, just about everybody has abandoned him. But not one man, not one man who is mentioned only twice in all of the New Testament, only twice. Right here in 2 Timothy, in the verse we're about to read, verse 16, and Over in chapter 4, verse 19, there the Apostle Paul says, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus, mentioned there and mentioned right here, where he writes in verse 16, The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. How much time have you spent thinking about Onesiphorus in your Bible study? How much uh, have you learned about Onesiphorus? Well, we would do well to learn as much as we can about Onesiphorus, even though he was only mentioned twice. And we can learn a great deal about him right here in the few words that Paul uses to commend this man. The Lord grant mercy to the household or the family is the idea, of course, of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Stop right there for a moment. Those words are filled with meaning. For he often refreshed me. Not just once, but often refreshed me. I was reading these words not long ago once I learned my friend Jim Tittle, who passed away this week and whose funeral I was privileged to have a part in yesterday. I was reading these words and I couldn't help but think about him. And I, in the brief comments I made yesterday at the funeral, I, I used this man on a because I said he reminds me of my friend Jim Tittle. But he really should remind us of every child of God because especially when he said he often refreshed me. And as I thought about my friend, that's what I remembered among so many other things is how often he refreshed me. Because we worked together at Truth For The World, and he was a volunteer there. And every day he would come in with the greatest attitude and just an air of excitement. He was, he was refreshing. But you know, it's interesting. As I looked at this word, refreshed, it's the only time it's ever used in the New Testament. This word is used right here. And you know what it means? It means a cooling breeze. A cooling effect that is had in a heated situation. Have you ever used the expression, you know, that was just a breath of fresh air? That's exactly what this word indicates, really. A cooling effect, a breath of fresh air. That's what my friend was to me on so many occasions, a breath of fresh air. But shouldn't we all be that breath of fresh air in our lives as Christians? Should we not all be, as Onesiphorus was to the Apostle Paul, one who, who, when we come to Someone we come as a breath of fresh air and not as, you know, something just the opposite in terms of discouragement or despondency. My friend lived for 15 years with one of the worst forms of cancer you could possibly have and fought it courageously. And he was a breath of fresh air through all of those 15 years. Always concerned about others. That's what Onociferous was like. And do you think Paul had any appreciation for it? He's mentioned and forevermore immortalized in the New Testament, isn't he? And you know what the name Onesiphorus means? It means profit bringer or advantage bringer. One who brings advantage. When he comes, you're going to profit. When he comes, you're going to profit by his coming. That should be characteristic of every child of God. That should be the determination of every single one of us is to be a profit bringer. That is, our lives bring profit to the lives of others. That's what Christianity is really about, isn't it? And Onesimus was just such a man. He often refreshed me, and notice this, and was not ashamed of my chain. What does that mean? Well, it just means that, doesn't it? Paul was in prison. Onesimus did not avoid me when I was in this predicament. He didn't pull away from me as Fagellus and Hermogenes did and all those others in Asia. But this Christian who was no doubt from Ephesus, he was not ashamed of my chain. He was not ashamed to be associated with me even in my persecution. Is it ever the case that people pull away from someone who's in... Dire straits or distress rather than drawing closer to them. And especially when someone is taking a strong stand for truth, where should we be? Standing with them. Not ashamed of the chain. That is, not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans 1? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Are we ever ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Are we willing to take a stand? As young people, are we willing to take a stand as older people in situations where we need to make sure that we stand with those who are standing? Paul said, I appreciate so much this man who was not ashamed of my chain. And the lesson for us is we must never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We should be wise as serpents, harmless as doves in, in making that stand and taking that stand and taking it with a, a proper spirit, a proper attitude. But we've got to stand. We've got to stand if no one else does. Onesiphorus did not care that Phagellus and Hermogenes and every other Christian in Asia, as far as he knew, had abandoned the Apostle Paul. He was not going to do that. And the next verse tells us just how much trouble he went to to make sure Paul knew he was not ashamed of his chain. Verse 17, But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously, and found me when he arrived in rome some have thought that perhaps the situation in rome was pretty chaotic at this time nero was in power perhaps uh, uh, so much had taken place in terms of the destruction of the city and the and the blaming of christians etc and all of it was chaotic some have surmised about this these conditions we cannot be absolutely sure what the conditions were but the indication is that it wasn't the case that Onesiphorus could go up to someone on the street and say, could you direct me to the prison in which Paul is being held? Oh yeah, I can tell you exactly how to get there and give you directions. That didn't happen. That's not the indication. When he came to Rome, he, he, what? he sought me out very zealously. The picture I get is that he's going from place to place, prison to prison, Asking, trying to find out where is Paul? Where is Paul? I want to see him. I want to help him. I want to do all that I can to minister to him. And in the words, found me. You can almost sense the joy in Paul's words. He found me. He sought me out very zealously. He didn't give up. He did not give up. And he found me. He found me. And one can almost sense the relief and the joy and the thankfulness that he found in me. Because it obviously made an impression on him, didn't it? It obviously made an impression. To the point that in verse 18, the final verse of our study this morning, he said this. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus. And obviously Onesiphorus was there and helped in every way he could to advance the borders of the kingdom and to spread the gospel of Christ and to encourage and assist Paul in every way that he could. And then when he came to Rome, he didn't say, well, you know, things are pretty chaotic here or this is a large city and Paul's being held somewhere and I'd love to see him, but... You know, the Lord doesn't expect me to, you know, to try to find him. No, he sought him out zealously and found him. And because he did and because it meant so much to the Apostle Paul, he recorded by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit something that sets for us an example that is worthy of following in our lives to be a profit bringer, an advantage bringer to others. To be like a little-known man, Onesiphorus, who was well-known to God, well-known to Paul, and is more well-known to a great many other people because we're able to study about him in these few statements that are made about him. Shouldn't we all want to go through life living in such a way as to be viewed, as was Onesiphorus by the Apostle Paul, as a breath of fresh air? and is one who often refreshed others. And because of that, Paul could say, may the Lord grant to him mercy <clears throat> on that day. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the judgment day. And there's no indication that Onesiphorus was dead at this time. He was away from his family, but it, it seems, but he was not, uh, uh, not, uh, not dead. In fact, I think, the indication here is very much alive because Paul doesn't pray for the dead. His prayer was for him to find mercy on that day, indicating that he was alive and that when he dies, assuming he continues to live out his life as that prophet bringer, my wish for him is that he would find mercy on that day. But what does that say? For whom can we wish the same? That is, that individuals would find mercy on that day. Not everybody. Not those who have not been as Onesiphorus was to Paul. Not those who have not obeyed the gospel of Christ tragically. We cannot legitimately and scripturally wish for them or pray for them that they would find mercy on that day because those who will find mercy from the Lord on that day are those who are obedient to the Lord in this life. We're all going to need mercy because we cannot earn our salvation. But that's a far cry from saying that I should just simply do nothing and let the Lord just grant all this mercy to me on that day. The Bible doesn't teach that that's going to happen, does it? If you look with me at another New Testament epistle that we have studied in past times, Peter's first epistle makes that abundantly clear. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 beginning. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace, mercy, the idea, the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice it, though. Rest your hope fully upon the what? The grace that is to be brought to you. He's writing down to Christians at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 14. As obedient children. Who is it that should look for the mercy and the grace of God at the judgment? The obedient children, like Old Luciferus. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. What's he saying? Those. Those who can rest their hope fully upon the grace and mercy of the Lord at the judgment day are those who have been obedient children. Those who have been called by the gospel and have answered that call and are living holy lives. They will need mercy because you can't be sinlessly perfect. But you can be obedient and you must be in order to receive that mercy. Onesiphorus was one for whom Paul could wish and pray that he would find mercy from the Lord on that day because he was obedient. Because he was a prophet bringer. Because he was that breath of fresh air time and time again. Not only to Paul, but to so many others, obviously. And because of that faithfulness, and the many ways, he says, he ministered to me at Ephesus, and to so many others, he could anticipate that mercy being shown. Onesiphorus, so little is said, but so much in those few words. What about you? Could Paul wish for you this morning that the Lord would grant to you mercy from the Lord on that day? He could and he would if indeed your situation is the situation that described on the faithful to the Lord, ministering to others, being that breath of fresh air, being a Christian, in other words. A faithful child of God. And the only way to become a faithful child of God, as we've already alluded to, is to believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John eight twenty four. Unless you believe that I am He, Jesus said, you will die in your sins. But so many stop right there. And the Bible doesn't stop there. Because the same Lord who said believe or die in your sins said, repent or Perish. Perish eternally. Luke 13, verse 3. And again at verse 5. What is repentance? It's a change of mind. You've got to make a change. You can't only just believe. You've got to let that belief move you to make a change. A change of mind that leads to a change of life. Beyond that, the scripture says, with the mouth confession is made to salvation, toward salvation. With the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made toward salvation. What confession is it? that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you'll confess me that way, Jesus said, I'll confess you before the Father in heaven. But he doesn't stop there. He says, the culmination of your faith must be in your willingness to submit to a burial that is like the burial of Jesus. Like his death, like his burial, like his resurrection. What is it that's like his death and like his burial and like his resurrection? It's baptism. It's baptism. The very thing that so many tragically deny, the Lord says, is absolutely essential to your salvation. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. How much clearer could he have made it than he did in that passage recorded in Mark sixteen sixteen? Because in that burial, the only substance that can cleanse you from your past sins is applied by heaven itself to do that cleansing. And that is not water, but blood. The blood of Christ is applied from heaven as you submit to a burial in water. That's what the Bible clearly teaches in precept and by example. Example after example after example after example example in the book of Acts. Not a single conversion that doesn't culminate with baptism into Christ. And then raised to walk what? In newness of life. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Newness of life added to what? The church of Christ, not a denomination among so many denominations, but that pre-denominational body, the pattern for which, going back to the first verse with which we began our study, the pattern for which is clearly revealed here. And because that pattern is revealed here, that pattern is being followed here, in this place this morning, and in so many other places around the globe. Thanks be to God for that pattern. Hold fast to it. But you can't hold fast to something that you haven't grabbed onto yet. And so if you haven't done that by obeying the gospel, we plead with you to do that and leave here as one who is holding to that pattern. If you're here this morning as one who has once held to that pattern but not, not steadfastly, and you know this very morning, that you've sinned in a way to bring reproach upon the church, the blood-bought body of Christ, and you need to come home, You do need to come home if you've done that. We plead with you to make it this morning the very morning that you do it because there may not be another morning or another evening for that matter. We simply have no assurance of such. Therefore, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. If you need to repent of sins that are public in nature and need to be confessed in that way, we are eager and willing to pray with you and for you to the God of heaven who loves you dearly. And we'll forgive you completely. As we stand to sing, will you come?